Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. On today's show, we've got Crispin Manners and Richard Houghton, co-authors of Grow, Build, Sell and Live, a practical guide to running and building an agency and enjoying it. It's also, I think, one of the longest book titles I know of, but, uh, but it's a good read, needless to say. It has some excellent reviews on Amazon. Um, Crispin and Richard are going to be talking to us this morning about the implications of the COVID-19 crisis for PR firms. Um, and before I start, um, I have to give um, some of our events a plug as it's become a bit of a tradition. Um, do please take a look at the homepage of PRLink.com where you can see all of our event program. Um, if you haven't booked your ticket already, um, then the events we're talking about or that are coming up during May are PR analytics, the intersection of PR and SEO, and the influence of influence. Um, and tickets are, if I, even if I say so myself, a very reasonable $39.99, uh, and all the events take place on a Thursday at 4pm. As ever, thanks so much to our PM and podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Crispin and Richard, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, everyone. Hey, guys. I think most agencies have probably dealt with the, the short-term demands uh, of, of COVID, or I should say the initial short-term demands of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, uh, you know, we can talk a bit about what those were, but in, in essence, working from home, government grants and furloughing. Um, you both work with a lot of PR firms. What's been your experience about how useful the various government schemes have been? Um, I think uh, they've been very useful. The, the furlough scheme took a bit of time to get sorted out, um, but the application process is very straightforward and the portal they're using appears to be robust. It's not crashing. Uh, I guess the key thing here will be the timing of the cash then arriving in the agency's bank accounts. Um, in terms of the loans that have been available, that's not been quite so straightforward. I think the problems there lie with the banks as well, although I also think that you want to be careful about adding more to your debt pile if you've already got some as an agency because the next uh, 12 months is going to be pretty bouncy. The one fly in the ointment or the, the, the one bit that's not working is that if you're a limited company and you're the director paying yourself through dividend, there is literally no support for you. Uh, and uh, That doesn't appear to be um, changing despite a lot of lobbying. Yeah, what, why is that? Do you think? I mean, that's. Um, I mean, it's it's not like company directors were breaking the law. The, go the government knew that people were taking advantage of that that dividend um, process, a bit for, for, clearly because it, it, it's a tax incentive. Um, but I guess, it, but it, at the same time, it encouraged entrepreneurship within within the UK. What, what, any thoughts on, on on why the government could have been quite so closed off to that? My understanding is that it's the lack of ability to split out working directors who are taking dividends and just investors who are taking dividends. And certainly that's the reason that the uh, Chancellor has given in the past. Fine. It just seemed, it would, you'd have thought of all the things that are going on, it wouldn't be an insurmountable problem um, if, if they wanted to sort it out. But anyway, um, just on the furloughing scheme, I mean, a lot of firms I've spoken to are using it. Clearly, uh, firms that have been more impacted by, by um, the COVID-19 crisis are using it more than others. Uh, are you guys surprised that people aren't taking it up a bit more? Is, is pride potentially getting in the way of some, some employers putting their, um, their, their deems on furlough? Um, no, I'm not surprised. I think the last figures I saw, about 80% of agencies have taken it up. Um, I don't think pride plays a part in it. I mean, you'd be 
you'd be silly to worry to, to allow that to impact your decisions. I mean, it's commercial reality is a lot of clients have reduced or stopped spending and therefore you have an oversupply of um, staff, you know, and therefore if the government is going to support you during this difficult time, then it makes good commercial sense to take advantage of it. And, and let's be blunt, these agencies are paid corporation tax every year they've been operating. So in that way, they've been, they, you know, they're getting a bit of payback. Right. I also think that going to furlough isn't necessarily the best option for some agencies. Um, I think that really depends on their client's exposure um, and also their financial strength. There's a really interesting article I'd encourage people listening to this to read if they haven't already. In the Harvard Business Review, it's called Roaring Out of Recession. And it explains very clearly why sometimes it might be best to keep your team together through, through a crisis uh, and, and to work with them to uh, innovate and adapt the services so they fit the new reality. Um, so I think there are some agencies I know who haven't furloughed because that's where they're putting their time and effort right now. And just on that, guys, what, what's your current advice? If, uh, are you advising your clients to, to, to continue to run it as, as close to a profit or a break-even point? Or are you saying, just with your last comment in mind, Crispin, if you can, you can, you can run at a loss and take a longer-term view? Um, actually, I think the, the agencies that I'm helping to adapt, uh, I, I think they, they, if they do the right things, they can do really well in the current situation. It obviously depends on which sector they serve. Um, but there are, there, are, there are plenty of clients who still have money, and there are plenty of clients who, if you, if you go to them with the right proposition, will spend that money right now. Um, and, and we're seeing that. So I, I, I think there's no reason why you can't grow right now and you can't grow profitably right now um, if, if you do the right things. Okay. Now, once agency owners ha have dealt with that first wave of imminent decisions, what, what, what's next on their to-do list? Um, I guess there's four things we, I, I think they need to be looking at. Um, as Crispin mentioned, people... Um, a lot of my clients are spending a lot of time on keeping in contact and um, communicating and leading their team, whether they're in furlough or not. Um, and, and that's becoming more and more important because on the whole, people kind of split a number of ways in terms of working from home and in a crisis. They either adapt to it well, they either hate it, or they, you know, they're kind of neutral. And I think you need to be able to work out which ones are which. Um, next thing, cash, it really is king. You need to have that detailed cash flow in place if you haven't got it week, uh, month by month, if not week by week, so make sure you understand where you stand. Um, the next one is a fee forecast and a robust fee forecast. So you need to build yourself a little model assessing the likelihood of which clients are going to continue to pay and at what level so that you can look at the money coming in. Um, I guess the next big one is landlords. Um, if you do have an office, it's an, 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 you need to get in touch and talk to them um, if they will do. And I've done half a dozen negotiations with landlords and on the whole, they've been quite sensible about it. So I think that's your biggest second fixed cost. And the last thing I add on that is um, agency leaders need to make sure they're looking after themselves. It's all too easy to worry about your staff or clients and forget that you need to look after yourself as well. Right. Just a couple of things I'd add to that, Ben. Um, uh, one, is, one is you've got to find a way of staying relevant to clients and prospects based on the current challenge. Uh, and, and as part of that, uh, recommend that people look at how they adapt plan campaigns 
to match the psyche of the lockdown audiences that they're approaching. Um, it's very easy for clients to take the view that things have to stop. Um, and we agencies need to give them reasons why that would be a really bad call. I mean, one of my agency clients, I think, did a brilliant job in this area for their client Freeview, um, which saw amazing media pickup and brand positioning for a campaign that would otherwise have been iced completely if the agency hadn't adapted it to fit the way people are feeling locked down at home. So I think, I think adapting, adapting previous ideas so they fit the new reality is, is really important. How, um, how, do you, how do you deal with the internal politics of the client, I suppose? Because very often your contact on the comm side, you may well be quite senior, is being told by their, their FD um, that no, that they've got it, they've got a cut spend. It's, it, that's, that's a difficult one for agencies to influence, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously a challenge, but I think, this, I guess there's a two-part answer there. One is, um, one is you, you have to connect the campaign you are running to the business pain that is the reason why the senior guys in, in, in the client have said, stop spending. Because um, if you don't, they'll, they'll just ignore you. Um, and the second is, you've got to show uh, your primary day-to-day -day contact that actually you will make them look good if 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 this campaign delivers the value you expect it to so you have to do both i think if you want if you want to get a yes but um what we're seeing is that uh if if you actually show clients what i would call the art of the possible that things are possible despite the difficulties um you you get a really good emotional dividend coming back um from the client because that they, they, they want to believe that they can do stuff. And if they don't believe that, they get super anxious that they might be the next thing to get cut. So right. going to them with re a really positive approach that, that delivers against the business pain, um, uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm seeing that pay off. So I, I guess empathy and communication is absolutely crucial in that process. Totally, totally. So you understand the, the the pressure that they're under, and how and how you can you can help to protect them from from the bad news they don't want to get downstream. Sure, can no, I add one more thing on yeah. that? Sorry, Ben. Can I add one more thing? I think I think we've had a twenty year discussion about the need for PR consultants to be um, relevant to businesses outside of the comms team, and this is a really good time to do it to demonstrate that you add value to the business mm. and you help them overcome issues that are facing the business um, and for its ability to be successful so i think i think there's an opportunity there as Kristen says and are you seeing um in the work that you do with different types of agencies you you, you work with is that work tending to be um, brand and reputation focused or, or or is it also a bit on the on the helping brands sell more stuff even at this stage um, most, most of my work I'm doing right now falls into two areas. Um, one is helping them sell stuff right now. Um, not just, not just to existing clients, um, but to, to prospects as well. And, and as part of that, the other bit that we're focusing on is, is strengthening their purpose. 
Um, it'll probably be something we talk about a bit more on the podcast, but um, a, a lot of, uh, there's, a gr- there's a great TED talk done by a guy called Simon Sinek who looks at what he calls the why, how, how and what of your business. And most agencies deal with their what. They, they talk about what they do, not, not why a client should buy it. So what we're working on with all our clients at the moment is to strengthen the why so it's clearer to clients and prospects why they need to buy from them right now. Right. Um, no, just, I, just, I suppose it's a related point, actually, Crispin. There's a lot of talk about, uh, and we don't know the answer this yet because we're, it's too early, but there's a lot of talk about what this crisis um, might, might do to society, to the, the world of business, and all, all of those types of big questions. Um, with that in mind, and, and we're only future-gazing here, um, what, what, how do you think agencies are going to have to evolve to, to what that future might look like? Um, really good question. Uh, I, uh, I think that agencies need to plan their approach around three phases. Um, life with COVID, where we are right now, you know, with the lockdown, um, life alongside COVID that's out of lockdown, but without a vaccine. So obviously with, in that scenario, we're not back to what would have been the old normal. Um, and then the third phase is life after, after COVID. And I, and I think all three of those phases will need to have a strong online virtual component. I mean, we're, we're doing this podcast virtually, Six weeks ago, we, we would have been in the recording studio. Um, so people really have to adapt and adapt fast to that. Um, but I think more important is maybe the strategic choices owners of agencies will need to make about whether they want to be a, a strategy or implementation house moving forward. I think Richard touched on that a second ago. Um, I think in the immediate term, there will be opportunities for both. Um, clients will definitely need strategic help that that adds value and solves the difficult challenges that they're facing. Um, But some other clients will also need implementation help to replace the in-house people that the client has decided to let go. Um, So I think leaders of agencies really need to think about where they can add value most and and, and start to focus their thinking in, in whichever of those two areas that is. Could I add something on the operational side and how they're going to need to evolve as well? Because as Kristen said, when we get to phase two, life alongside COVID, um, you know, it feels like this is probably the death of the open plan office. Um, but agency leaders are going to have to consider how they keep their teams safe and how that operates, how they feel about their teams using public transport, living alongside COVID-19, uh, and um, how they're going to operate. And it feels to me that a lot of people are going to move into a hybrid model. Now they've been forced into working out how to work remotely. Um, I think you're going to find a hybrid model um, so that they can stack in the days, the times they're traveling, um, that you don't want to be too, uh, you don't want too much of a big office and how many people want to sit in a big open plan office anyway. So I think there's going to be some changes there as well on the operational side, as well as the bigger um, picture that Kristen's covered up. Yeah, it certainly has interesting um, implications for the, the commercial um, property market in the long term, doesn't it? Crispin, just on those scenarios that you were talking about, about COVID and, and, and post-lockdown and, and then um, after 
post-COVID. Uh, what do you? What, what level of detail are you talking about there? Are you talking about three different, you know, twelve-month forecasts? You know, what, to what it, or, or are you just thinking about it? What, what, what level of, of detail would you encourage people to go to? Again, interesting question. I mean, the conversations I'm having at the moment are less about the uh, the financial planning involved in those three phases, uh, more about um, the commercial reality of, of, first of all, being relevant to the client in those three different scenarios. Um, and secondly, building belief that you are the best solution for their needs in those three different um, three different phases, uh, because I, I think if you don't crack those things, it doesn't matter how good your financial planning will be, um, you just won't be selling anything. Right. Um, now budgets are going to be tough for a while, aren't they? Um, I know this is something you're passionate about, Richard. That the ability to show return on investment is going to be crucial, isn't it? I think so, yeah, absolutely. I said earlier on, we've been talking about this for 20-odd years. So your evaluation is going to have to be robust um, and it's going to have to be outcome-focused rather than just the output. Because if I was sitting in a client organisation now, I know this, I've been talking to a number of them, they're expecting to be able to demonstrate the value they're getting for every pound spent. Um, and those in-house teams are either get bigger or smaller depending on the culture of the organisation that you're dealing with. But a lot of them are going to say, well, actually, we'll bring it all in-house um, because we'll see that as a cost-saving. So you're really going to have to stand out. And as Kristen says, you're going to have to be relevant to their current needs. And I guess that means you're really going to have to understand the client business in the round and the issues they're facing. Um, so, yeah, evaluation could be critical. And, you know, for those listening now saying, well, that's already well for you to say, Richard, it's not easy to do, nip along to the AMEC Integrated Evaluation Framework site. It's all free. It's all been done for you. It's all been thought through. You just need to learn to um, deliver it. I think on a practical level, you're going to have to allow for the time and cost and the cost of the time of doing that evaluation because I think it's going to be critical to go along with a proposition that's differentiated and fits a motivating purpose. Ben, I I think this whole question of return on investment, I think more than ever that's going to be it. I mean, Richard's talked about the evaluation piece, which should be included in in your proposal, obviously, but I think... Um, right now, the decision to invest anything with an agency will be taken at the highest level in, in an organization because costs for everything are being scrutinized for the value they'll deliver back. So unless when you go with your proposal, you connect to a business pain that the most senior people in that organization care about, um, I don't think they will assign budget. Um, uh, but I also think that that means agencies really need to start to think about how they price for things. Um, and again, I, I think the world that we live in now will, will change everything. And one of the things that I think needs to change quickly is the way agencies price. Because I think although there will be budget pressure, I don't think that's a reason to discount or to trade on price. In fact, I think it's a brilliant opportunity to, sh- to shift to value-based pricing rather than time-based pricing. Because ultimately, organizations won't buy anything from an agency if they don't think it delivers value back to the business. So time, justifying through time and, and, and all of that 
simply won't resonate with the people who are holding the purse strings right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is going to be outcome for the business. Um, but I think we should also expect discounting to go on. Um, I think we're going to see agencies start to discount in a panic. And I think we're also going to see quite a few startups as people are made redundant from agencies. And, you know, traditionally people have discounted when they've started to try and get business. So to Christian's point about demonstrating your value and touching the business pain points or helping to address business pain, it's going to be critical. Right. Final offer I'd make on this one, um, Ben, is I don't think the, age, the, the starting assumption should be that the budget doesn't exist or that it's reduced. I think, I think organizations faced with the challenges they've got will, will actually spend more if they think it will deliver what they need. Um, so I think some agencies could actually earn more than normal in this environment if, if they go about it in the right way. Right. Uh, and it would be remiss of me not to, not to give our PR analytics, uh, virtual event a plug which is uh, happening later this month if you do want to hear a bunch of case studies uh, around the um the, the topic of proi right guys uh, is it true to say we're in a bit of a, a phony war at the moment um pr firms are or most pr firms are not making redundancies so certainly some that are are um but most the reason most pr firms are not making redundancies is because they're relying on government support isn't it when that furloughing scheme ends um, a lot of agencies are bound to have to lose some employees, aren't they? Um, I'm going to say not necessarily. Um, I mentioned that Harvard Business Review article earlier, and I think if you if you read that, it shows that progressive companies um, keep their best people together, and and use their best people to adapt what they do to become more compelling. In, in the in the changed environment in which they sell into. Um, however, what may happen if an agency isn't purpose-driven um, is that the best talent who've been thinking about their personal why, you know, why, why do they get out of bed in the morning, um, they, they've all, a lot of us have been thinking about that during the lockdown, um, and those who've, who've done that may well leave to work for a company where they have a shared purpose. So I think while inevitably the, the agencies that are weak financially may have no choice but to make redundancies, uh, I think other agencies who may think they have ridden out the storm and can keep their team together may find they're losing people, not through redundancy, but because they haven't made a compelling enough case to that individual to continue to work there. Right. Um, it's true, isn't it, that a, a lot of people, a lot of us, are, 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 it is a period where people are reflecting on, on their life choices um, to, to a degree that I think we haven't seen for, for probably, probably my adult life anyway. No, definitely. And I would say that people have learned that they can live with a lot less in many ways. Um, and maybe that commute and the aggravation and the stress that we used to go, we used to live with is, is not necessarily what they want to do for the long term. And, and I know from my agency days, you know, summer holidays are always interesting because if somebody had been away for two weeks, they often came back and you'd see a raft of resignations because they've had time to think about it. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see a big change as Crispin says, but it comes back to, are you compelling to your employees? And are you compelling to your clients? Um, and that takes a bit of thought, but we have time to do that. Um, and just, um, guys, what, what advice would you give to 20 employers out there? It's related to the, what you just talked about there, but I just want to 
delve in a little bit more detail about how they reshape their businesses going forward? Um, my advice would be to start with their purpose. Um, I think relatively few agencies have given this real thought. And as Richard said, they've got time to do that now. Um, uh, purpose should be about the difference you you think you make as an organization, the reasons why clients and employees should give a damn that you exist. Um, I think now is the time to make this super compelling to clients and employees alike. Um, I mentioned the uh, Simon Sinek uh, model of why, how and what. I think that's a, a really simple framework for people to follow um, and, and to find ways to bring the, the why of what they do to the surface. Uh, and not just talk about what they do. Uh, and I think if they fix that uh, during the lockdown, it could be the single most effective change that, that they'll make. It'll, it'll certainly give them what they need to emerge stronger from, from the crisis. Do, um, do you agree, just a little bit on that, just to, uh, I mean, what, what the, one of the government schemes is doing in terms of encouraging businesses to take out loans is saddling biz good businesses with lots of debt. And that's gonna make, any any recovery so much slower for the business for the government for, for the country isn't it is, is that not an issue when we start having this sort of conversation it, it well it definitely could be if if the reasons people are taking out the loans are just to prop up a, a, a business which is no longer relevant to the world it will emerge into if however um, if however the loan is to help fund innovation and adaptation to that new environment so that the services that we, you, you touched on briefly earlier, the new services um, are deliverable and, 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 and robust, then I think the loan, the loan would be well worth taking out because it, it, it'll, it'll underpin a much brighter future. And I, and I think if agencies don't adapt, then they're gonna be in real trouble. Yeah, I, do, I, I, I guess what I, what I see a bit around is that you've got businesses that were in, in pretty good shape, but obviously the market that was then taken away from them um, and then coming out of, come out of this and who knows how, how quickly and, and when that recovery will be, um, that they've then got a, a, a set of products which may well need some, some, some evolution and some innovation, but you've still got, I don't know, you might have, a whole lot of debt that, that slows those slows that recovery down and limits their choices going forward to make those great decisions that you were talking about, Christian. Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think since 2008, there's been there's there's been um, a lot of talk about organisations who who've been like the Walking Dead, surviving simply because we live in a, a world of low cost finance. Um, and, and that could apply to, to agencies coming out of this one. Um, but, I, but I think the fact that the government, who, who've really sort of bent over trying to find ways to help organisations survive this and, and come out the other side uh, doing well, the latest step to uh, underpin small business loans 100% is, um, I think, a great opportunity for for agencies that have got a vision for the future and are developing um, developing services that clients will want to buy. Sure. 
Can I just add, oh, oh, sorry, Ben, all the money in the world isn't going to help you if you haven't got a set of services that people want to buy. It really is. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no doubt that those loans, are, a lot of them are going to be defaulted on. So I think you'll see a lot of um, flexibility in the repayment periods as well. But don't take out a loan unless you've got a clear idea of what you're selling and the market wants it. Um, sorry, I interrupted you a bit there, Chris. But do, do you want to come back on that or um, you done? No, I think I think all, all I would do is, is it, in, uh, I said, work on your purpose, get the, bring the why to the surface, and then make sure that whatever you develop works for the three phases. You know, it can't just work for where we are right now. It has to work for living alongside COVID and also when, when we finally got this thing behind us. Um, and and that, that, that Simon Sinek thing, that's a TED talk, is it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put that up on the site. Um, guys, we, we've lived through an era uh, where we've seen an increased amount of, of, of sector specialization of PR firms, and it's, you know, it seems like a pretty good idea up to now, but it's just backfired, isn't it, that, that strategy? Uh, not really. I think it depends which sector you're in. Um, you know, if you're in pharma or tech at the moment, then things are pretty good. If you're in hospitality, travel, or um, drinks and restaurants, it's not great. Um, I think... The, the, there's a couple of points that are worth worth thinking about. First of all, those specialists that are in sectors that have um, taken a very big hit have been forced to review their um, what they're doing and how they operate. And certainly, two of my clients have done just that and developed a suite of new services um, that uh, will help their clients in the hospitality sector actually drive more money. So it comes back to the early conversation about are you actually helping address uh, a pain the business is facing. Um, so I think in some ways the need to change has been more urgent from those sectors harvest hit. Um, but underlying this, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, if you're not generating cash as a business and you're not keeping someone deposit to allow you to rough out the, ride out the rough times, then um, you know, you're in trouble. And back to Christmas point about zombie agencies, you know, there's going to be a lot out there that um, don't survive this because they weren't generating cash because they weren't offering differentiated services to people who wanted to pay a premium for them. And they didn't have the um, cash in the bank to ride out the periods where the fee forecast drops away. Um, so I don't think specialisation itself is bad, but I do think any business without the cash is not going to survive. So uh, no, I, I'm, I'm convinced that specialisation still has a role to play going forward. But if you, I, I suppose what it shows is the, um, that your business is at greater risk if you don't have, a, you, you can spread that risk by being, by either working in different sectors or, or supplying different services. So I, I guess now if you, um, if you have an employee comms division, for example, then that's going to be a, a good, going to be good news, isn't it? Yes, it is. But there's two different things there, isn't there? Is do, should I specialise in a sector? And I, my argument would be yes, the, the, the benefits outweigh the risks because we're in a unique situation here. And certainly in my 32 years, I'm not seeing anything like this. Um, I think the service specialism is important. So I've had two great examples recently. One organisation in Austria um, who have set up a small team to ensure that their clients can run media interviews and Zoom interviews at home properly um, so that they've got the right lighting and the right equipment. So it's a straightforward service they're charging for. And that will continue going on, I think, because we're going to see the new normal will include an awful lot of download interviews, et cetera. So that's a valued service for that. The other one is um, an agency in the restaurant sector that has realised that um, the a number of services they've been developing around database management and local uh, promotion, etc., need to be brought to the fore quickly. So, you know, we've got specialist services, but we've also got specialization, and I think the two aren't mutually exclusive, and I think they can be both beneficial. Okay. And I, I'd just add to that by saying, I mean, 
I work with an agency which specializes in the charity sector and a charity sector is one of one of those which has been pretty much decimated in terms of uh, revenue generation um, and this particular agency has just had their their best best month on record and the reason they've done that is that they they have been super proactive with organizations both clients and prospects uh, about facilitating out options for them about how they how they emerge stronger from the crisis um, and by by taking that action they are they have completely elevated the perception of them uh, in in their sector as as an organization that can make a fundamental difference and I think that opportunity um, exists for all agencies who who really think about um, what their particular sector needs, you know, restaurants or otherwise. Sure. Um, and just briefly, if I may, because we're almost out of time, um, a lot of conversations throughout the, throughout the, the country, yellow and the economy, yellow just the PR scene, about what the new normal is going to look like. What do you think the new normal is going to look like for PR firms? I think... I think it's going to be really exciting and very rewarding for those that are purpose driven and have adapted services to whatever that new normal looks like. Um, most importantly, I think the, the guys who will do really, really well are the ones who sell on value, not on activity or on time. Um, for the rest, sadly, I think it could be a race to the bottom with ferocious price based competition. Right. And just to come back on a couple of those points, Crispin, are you sort of, is that an endorsement of payment by results? Is that what you're suggesting there? No, I, no, I, I, I think it's more about really demonstrating to every client that you work for that you understand what the, the business is trying to achieve rather than responding to a brief that the communications team have handed out. Because um, I think those things sometimes can be, the same but quite often they're not um, and I think if you if you demonstrate that um, what 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 you deliver for an organization helps them achieve their goals so the outcomes that Richard referred to earlier um, uh, and you work with that client to ensure that they're measuring the right thing so you can demonstrate cause and effect um, I think I think they will be more than prepared to pay what you want to charge to deliver that kind of value. So I don't think it's uh, if we deliver you five hundred leads, then you then then yes, pay me. Um, I think it's uh, we if we help you, we will help you grow by doing these various things and just like it's worth you having your own marketing team to help you do that, it's worth having us on board to help you do that. And provided agencies can demonstrate proof of where they've done that before, I think people, people will um, want to buy it. Pay, 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 yeah, want to buy it, yeah. Um, and just finally, why, do, why would a client care about whether the agency has a purpose or not? Just to, just to come back to you on that. Um, because I think... Uh, well, there are a number of reasons for that, but I think if if organisations believe they're working with a, uh, an agency which 
has a shared purpose, then I then I think they will <clears throat> they will be much more likely to hire them and much more likely to want to have them around for the long term because they they they, they can identify um, that there is a there is both an implicit and explicit commitment to achieving the same things. So, for example, one of my agencies um, uh, set up only last year. So you might say poor soul that did that um, their, their purpose is all about helping to improve the health of the nation um, so I can't imagine that Sonny Delight would, would would phone him up to say come and work for me but <laughs> there are plenty of organizations that would phone him up because they're saying well that's exactly what we're trying to do improve oh. the health of the nation gotcha. Richard did you want to come in on that um, no, I think that's right. I think also that the, the purpose can, can uh, sorry, a good proposition falls out of a motivating purpose. So what you find is you've got a team that are selling better and they're more engaged um, and they believe in what they're doing. And I think that comes across. And if you're looking for differentiation in uh, an oversupplied agency world, I think clients are going to be motivated by that. Um, but ultimately, all of this is going to come down to, I mean, from my point of view, you know, it's, it's accelerating discussions we've had for two decades now. You know, PR is going to have to stand up and demonstrate the value it delivers to the business and the pain points it helps solve. Um, and that's going to be a really good thing. If it moves us up the, um, the tree in terms of the uh, value that we deliver and the perceived value that we, we, the clients, sorry, and the value that clients are willing to pay for, that can only be a good thing. Brilliant. Crispin and Richard, thanks so much for that. That was a, a really, really interesting conversation. Um, just in case you didn't catch it in my intro, um, Crispin and Richard are co-authors of the book Grow, Build, Sell and Live, A Practical Guide to Running and Building an Agency and Enjoying It. Um, and it is, I checked it out last night, currently still available on Amazon. Guys, thanks so much. Have a good rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.